Howdy, church. I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter 5, 10 through 11. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Howdy, church. Good morning. All the Aggies are gone. Okay. I was expecting a howdy and a whoop, maybe, but that's fine. That's okay. Well, Alan is not here this morning, um, as you can see, but don't go church hunting yet. He'll be back next week. Uh, today you have me. Once again, my name is Kyle Cunningham, and I'm your youth intern uh, for this summer, and I get to speak to you today about strength. That is the focus today. Uh, earlier, Preston read from 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 10 through 11, which stated uh, that God will strengthen you, he'll make you firm and make you steadfast. Um, even through your weakness, through your struggle, he will be there. He will be your strength. And I find it a little ironic that the person talking about strength today is probably the smallest person in this audience. Um, I see the irony, um, but at the same time, I, I think that it has purpose um, because I, I understand a little bit more about where finding strength, uh, where to find strength, not in the world, but in God. Um, so at first, I want to start off by listing a few people throughout history um, who, similar to me, may not have been the biggest in stature, but have done great things in history. First off is James Madison. Um, James Madison was only five foot four, uh, but he was the fourth U.S. president. He ratified the Constitution. He's called the father of the Constitution. Um, and uh, I'd like to make clear right now, while, while listing these, it's not uh, to uh, make light of uh, me or my stature or anything, anything like that. There's a, there's a point. Just follow me through it. Um, second of all, there's Yuri uh, Gagarin. I may have mispronounced that a lot. He's from Russia. But Yuri was the first person to uh, enter outer space in 1961. He was sit sent out on the Vostok 1. So the uh, Soviet shuttle where he, he was sent out into space and returned. Um, that's a great accomplishment. And he was, if you want reference, the same size as me. Uh, third, it's Napoleon Bonaparte. He's not quite as small as myth tells it, uh, but still he wasn't uh, the big, tall, towering military leader that other people would have been. He was not um, the same other, as other military leaders at the time but he was still able to lead the French through uh, military conquest during many uh, revolutionary wars um, throughout the 1800s. And last, uh, second to last, actually, um, this is Tyrone Curtis. I learned about Tyrone Curtis recently, um, second last name of Bogues. He has a nickname of Muggsy Bogues. And um, this is the shortest person to be in the NBA. Um, if you look at uh, pictures of him, uh, in the NBA, uh, playing with the other towering figures in the NBA. Um, it's kind of funny to watch him, you know, uh, dribble through everybody else or see pictures because um, it, it really speaks to his strength and what he has. Our version of strength in the world is all about the physical. It is all about um, how big and tough you are. It's how strong you are. But I think that myself and these people can speak to what else strength is. 
Um, it's not necessarily how big and strong you are. There is more to strength than just that. Um, and that leads me to the final person on this list, being David, uh, who many of you know. Uh, if you haven't figured out already, I'll probably be speaking a lot towards David and Goliath. Um, David was not as small or teeny as you might think. Uh, you know, he, he um, was not, he, was, he wasn't, I don't think he was an underdog. Uh, people tend to think of the story of David and Goliath as, uh, as a story of, here's David and here's Goliath. Goliath rep represents your fears. Goliath represents everything you're afraid of. And here comes David, the small shepherd boy who comes along and defeats his fears. Um, he defeats Goliath. Uh, no one was expecting that. And David comes out victorious um, because he was so uh, confident and strong. Yes, but no. I don't think Goliath represent your, represents your fears. Goliath represents much more than that. Um, and there's more to defeating your fears or more to uh, courage than just defeating fears. The lesson Let Them Hear, the series Let Them Hear, is all about do you hear the assurance spoken over you? Do you hear what is said over you in prayer and scripture? Scripture. Do you hear Jesus' promise to you? Are you too busy yelling, I'm not strong enough for God to, uh, so, you th so that you don't hear God saying, I am your strength? It doesn't matter that you're not strong enough because God is your strength. And that's what David understood. Nothing else matters, but David said, God is my strength, and that is how he lived his life. Um, 1 Peter 5, as read earlier, um, is all about God being your strength, making you firm, strong, and steadfast. And I think the, story, the, the life of David, not just David and Goliath, but the life of David speaks volumes to what that strength is. So the story of David and Goliath will be in 1 Samuel, um, starting in verse 32, going through uh, later on in 1 Samuel. But this is the story of David and Goliath. And I know you've all heard it before, but we're, re we're reading it again. Oh, well. Read, read, reread over and over. Because if you're not learning something new every time, then you're not really reading. Um, I'm a big believer in physical Bibles, so if you have one or if you don't have one, there are some in the chairs in front of you. I would highly recommend following along. Um, but we'll be beginning there. So, 1 Samuel chapter 17 starts in verse 32. This is right after Goliath has approached the Israelites and challenged them to bring forth their own champion. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the, lair, the, the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. This is the one, one of the most well-known well moments of David's life because it answers one of the most fundamental questions we have. How do, you do it? How do you deal with fear? I'd like to point out, as we, before we start reading the rest of this how do you deal, deal with fear narrative, 
the word choice that David uses, rescued. If you'll notice that in italics up here, David says rescued. Earlier he says, I killed the bear and the lion, but he makes sure to point out that he was rescued from the lion and the bear. It was not his own strength that killed them, but it was because God offered his strength and David was rescued from fear, from his threats. I just want to point that out. We're going to skip a little bit forward and start in verse 41 to read Goliath's response and finish out the story. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, came coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. We sang that song earlier. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down onto the ground. Yes, I have notes. I'm not a professional at this. Um, Robert Alter is an expert on ancient Hebrew narrative. Um, if you don't know the name, now you do. Uh, Goliath, before, um, before this, this text, earlier in chapter 17, Goliath is uh, listed as having all this armor and all these weapons, and it's, it's very rare in Hebrew narrative to see somebody described like this. Um, Goliath gets this whole list of everything that he's wearing and everything that is like. And Robert Alter says that that is a very interesting description because no one else in Old Testament Hebrew writing is described like this. And that's interesting because Goliath is described not as your fears, not as this terrible threat, but he's described more like a champion. He's described like a hero, um, one who is strong and powerful and wearing armor, and he is, he is your archetypal champion. And here's the problem seeing this as the underdog story. David does not save the Israelites in spite of his weakness, but he saves them through his weakness. Um, David looks at Goliath as this big champion and does not say, I'm, I'm so weak and there's no way I can win against this. David says, I might be a champion too. Um, I am afraid. There is fear here. Um, but if I might fail, which is likely because we're two very different people, I might fail, but I'm going to do the right thing anyway. That is what David says. That's not exactly an underdog story in my mind. Um, but here you have these two different people. Um, like I said earlier, David and Goliath are described as your fears and how to conquer fear. And how to conquer fear is typically described as you need to banish your fears. Let them go. Go right at it. Um, you know, have no fear uh, because if you have fear, then you, might then you might fail. David does not do that. David is scared. He recognizes that he might fail. Um, 
and he goes at Goliath anyway because he just might win. Um, David recognizes that he is fearful. He recognizes that he is not as strong as Goliath, and that is why he turns his strength over to God. He says, God, you are my strength, and because of that, I just might win. Goliath suppresses his fear. Goliath abandons his fear. He's the typical idea of what the world would say um, that represents strength, right? Coming up to speak to you today, uh, you might have heard this advice before, but uh, it's tempting for me to come up here and say, I'm not afraid, you know, I'm going to be fearless, I'm not going to come up here and be nervous or anything, but I'm going to speak to you um, as confidently as possible, and that is not how I'm doing this, because um, <laughs> this is, this is nerve-wracking, um, this is a new thing, uh, but in order to suppress my fear, if I do that, if David, or excuse me, yeah, if David did that, excuse me, if Goliath did that, uh, Goliath suppresses his fear and does not uh, allow himself to be fearful. He does not see potential defeat. He says, I cannot lose. There's no way I'm going to lose. So I'm going to approach this little boy um, named David and I'm going to kill him immediately. Uh, are you a, calling me a dog that you approach me with sticks and stones? Um, but David does anyway. Uh, one thing about David, he's not as weak as we might think. He is weak, but in comparison to Goliath. But um, here's an interesting thing if you like history and that kind of stuff. Slings uh, were often used along with archers. Um, slings, if used correctly, can throw up to 60 miles an hour and can be deadly. Uh, so it's not a little toy that David is using. It is, it is a deadly weapon. Um, so if you're putting David in the weak uh, category with no strength and Goliath is this uh, fearful figure, then you don't recognize that they're on a bit more of a level playing field. Um, David is not as weak as you might think. Uh, and that's where Goliath fails. Because he fails to recognize uh, the fact that he just might lose. We need something that enables, you, that enables us to be more like Esther. If you remember Esther at all, she had to go to the king and tell him to change his mind. Um, she, went to, she went up to the king and was terrified. She was scared, but she said, if I perish, I perish. That's Esther's famous line. Um, that is what courage is. Not saying, I can do it. I have full self-esteem. Um, no, that's wrong. That is the world's idea of courage. The correct idea of courage says, if I might fail, let it be. But I'm going to do the right thing anyway. That's what Esther's doing. That's what David is doing. And that's what Peter calls us to do. We'll jump back to Peter um, later. Peter's idea that we read earlier, I think, is best explained by this story. So we will go to uh, Peter in a little bit. Um, last thing that separates these two, these two models of what strength is. Um, Goliath only looks at the next battle. He, he's, his mindset is short term, right? Um, he looks to battle after battle, uh, but David looks at the long term. In order for David to call upon the Lord's strength, in order for David to be strengthened by the Lord, um, David has to devote his life to God. Um, David does not say, God, for just this one battle, be with me, give me, this, give me the strength that I need to defeat this Philistine. David says, you are my strength always, and because you are my strength always, I'm going to defeat this Philistine. And that, those are the major differences between David and Goliath. Goliath being the world's idea of strength and David being God's idea of strength, God's uh, 
chosen strength that he chooses, that, um, that he wants us to be, that he wants us to embody. So uh, I'd like you to, to finish this sentence for me. Um, speaking of uh, long-term strength, uh, you may know this scripture, but love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul strength. Yeah, there's a lot of others. With all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. There's a bunch of different, yeah, I, I don't know the ordering correctly. There's a bunch of different versions. But um, love the Lord the God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's wrong, by the way. It's love the Lord your God with all your kidneys and with all your bowels. Uh, just fun fact, uh, Hebrew idioms are very weird to translate because in Hebrew, they typically thought of the heart, the emotion center of the body. They thought the kidneys were that. They're just organs. They don't mean anything. So Hebrews also often said the kidneys instead of the heart. Um, the soul they thought of as the bowels. I don't know why, but that's just what they thought. Um, so none of this really means anything specific of the whole, the heart, the soul, the mind. They thought the brain was useless. Um, they thought it was just there and they could remove it and there'd be no problem. They were wrong. Uh, but none of these organs really mean anything. The heart, the soul, the mind, but the strength, um, is synonymous, uh, because this verse is basically telling you to embody strength, to give your very being to God for the long term, to give God all that you are, love the Lord your God with all of you. That's what that verse is saying, with all your being. Um, David does this until, fast forward, me in David, fast forward with me in David's life to when he writes Psalm 51. If you know Psalm 51, you'll know that David wrote this right after his affair with Bathsheba. David wrote this at the lowest point in his life, where David has just murdered Bathsheba's husband and has just, had, uh, has, has just committed adultery with Bathsheba. And David is at his lowest point, and he recognizes that he was not the king that he used to be. Um, David is seeing himself turn into Goliath where the world's idea of strength is one that has no fear and complete confidence in who they are and gets wrapped up in their own idea of strength. David is seeing himself become that because he's a powerful king. Um, everybody likes him. He can do whatever he wants, and he does whatever he wants until he realizes that his life is not devoted to God anymore. It's devoted to himself. It's devoted to his own strength and not God's strength. His confidence is turning like... Uh, his confidence is turning to the confidence of Goliath. It's also turning to the confidence of Saul. Um, if you know Saul, Saul was chosen by God to be king over the Israelites. That's in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, right before we read. Um, but Saul effectively goes crazy over time, trying to murder David multiple times. Um, and that's where this psalm gets interesting. This is just a section of the psalm um, in, this, in the song that we just sang. Um, where David says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. There's your word steadfast from 1 Peter. Do not cast me from your presence or take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And the most important line, I think, in that section is do not take your presence or do not take the Holy Spirit from me because David knows exactly what it looks like to lose the Holy Spirit. In chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, God takes the Holy Spirit, that's what it says, takes the Holy Spirit from Saul, 
and gives it to David because David is the new anointed king. And that's when Saul starts to go crazy, trying to murder David. He becomes embezzled in his own strength. And David has seen that with his own eyes. So David says, give me back the Holy Spirit. I'm losing it. I know what it looks like in Goliath and in Saul, and I do not want to lose it now. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Um, some more Hebrew things, because I like them, and I don't, if you don't, oh well. Uh, but um, we rhyme words in the English language and in many, many other languages uh, with sounds, uh, where, you know, rhyme, time, lime, uh, mime, just they all sound the same, right? That's our version of rhyming. Hebrew rhyming rhymes ideas. That's called Hebrew parallelism. It rhymes uh, repeated thoughts through repetition. So create in me a pure heart, O God. What does that look like? And renew is renewing the steadfast spirit within me. That's what a pure heart looks like. Do not cast me from your presence. What does that look like? The removal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and restore unto me the joy of your salvation. What does the joy of your salvation look like? A willing spirit that will sustain me. So you see that rhyme pattern right there with the writing of this psalm. And I think that speaks to let them hear. Hebrew parallelism basically says, here's what I have to say to you. Did you hear it? Okay, here it is again. In case you didn't catch that, let me repeat it for you and make it more specific. Um, so d if David is to be a man after God's own heart, right? He needs to have a pure art of his own. And that's what he is calling to God for. He is in a moment of desperation. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish uh, theologian, basically says that when is prayer strongest? When you're in your most desperate. Um, so David, in this moment of desperation, is calling on God to restore unto him the Holy Spirit, and a steadfast spirit, and a pure heart. Because he sees that he is losing it. He's becoming like Goliath. But David is not the only one who prays in desperation. Jesus does the same. You're probably recognizing where I'm, what I'm talking about here. Jesus, in the, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, I like the, if you can visualize it, if you can know where it is, I think it helps your understanding. Um, this is the actual Garden of Gethsemane. Um, you can see structures and things built around it now and the paths, but this is where Jesus sat down before his crucifixion and prayed to God. And I find it interesting that in Jesus' most desperate hour, where he was about to be crucified, his number one defense against temptation to leave, to walk away, to go back into heaven, uh, to not be crucified, his number one defense is prayer. Prayer to not be tempted. Hebrews 11 lists, it's kind of the scriptural hall of fame. Um, Hebrews 11 lists Old Testament figures, um, such as David. It says, remember, uh, remember Noah, remember Abraham, uh, remember Joseph, remember David. Remember all these fantastic people um, who emulate what it is to be um, a follower of God. But they're all pointing to Jesus. That's Hebrews 12. Um, Hebrews 11 leads into Hebrews 12 saying that um, all these people are only a small glimpse of what Jesus is. David only saved his people through uh, risking death. Uh, Jesus gave his life. David only saved his, peaceable, his people from their death. Jesus saved us from eternal death. David only went into the, into the valley of the shadow of death, but Jesus went headstrong into death. 
Um, David is pointing to Jesus, saying, don't look at me. You can if you want, but look at him. Emulate Jesus. Emulate his prayer in desperation to call on God when you are at your lowest of lows. And that is what strength is. That is essentially what strength is. Um, Jesus is your champion, not Goliath, not anyone else, not even David. Jesus is your champion. The debt has been paid, and it's only when you recognize that the debt has been paid, that Jesus is your champion, that you recognize what true strength is. And this is what Peter is talking about. This is exactly what Peter is talking about when he says, and the God of all grace who called you to eternal, eternal glory in Christ. Peter says, um, the God of all grace has called you to eternal glory. Uh, do, you hear what, do you hear his call? Do you hear what he is saying to you? Who is Peter talking to? It's right up there. To God's elect. Who are God's elect? He lists, he lists many churches uh, following in, in verse 1. That's at, the right, that's at the beginning of 1 Peter. Peter says, to God's elect, uh, this church and that church and all of you followers of God and Jesus, um, he lists veterans of the faith. He is talking to seasoned veterans of what it is like to follow God, what it is like to be Christ-like. He is talking to people who already know Jesus. That's the difference between Peter and Paul. Uh, Paul talks to the Gentiles, people who do not know Jesus effectively, and Peter talks to those who already know. Um, and Peter is calling them to remember. Remember where your strength comes from. He's also talking to you. We're a church. We're seasoned veterans of the faith. We know what Jesus calls us to do. We're familiar with the Bible. Peter is talking to you today. And that's where the let them hear comes from. Do you hear what Peter is saying to you right now? Peter is saying to the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, after you're at your lowest of lows, he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He will restore to you a clean heart. Um, he will give the Holy Spirit to you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. That is what Peter is saying. And I'm sure Alan can contest to, or not contest, but he can attest to this. He can agree with me when I say that I'm preaching to myself right now. Um, I know things about the Bible. I'm not a Bible major or anything, but I, I know who Jesus is and what he taught. Um, and it is difficult for me to look at my own strength, look at what I can do, um, to lean on my own understanding and not the understanding of God. That is a, that's a heavy message, and I'm preaching to myself right now. Um, but Peter is calling us to lean on the strength of God, not of ourselves. To him be the power. I'd like to leave you with one final image. Um, if you know Mr. Rogers, uh, you know what kind of person he is, the gentle spirit that he was. If you don't know Mr. Rogers, go look him up. You're missing out. Um, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood aired from 1968 to 2003, and over those decades, it, can, it, uh, it carried the same message for years and years. Mr. Rogers always said that anything mentionable is manageable. He said, uh, this is a quote from Fred Rogers, there's no normal life that is free of pain. It's the very wrestling with our problems that can be the impetus from our growth for our growth. Um, Mr. Rogers understood that mentioning your pain, mentioning what you're going through, mentioning when you're your lowest of lows in prayer 
is what gives you strength. It's what connects you with God. Um, it's said that anything, everything Fred Rogers did was a prelude to or an outcome of prayer. He understood what prayer was. Um, there's a movie recently made in 2019. Some of you may have seen it. If you haven't, I recommend it. Um, where Tom Hanks plays Mr. Rogers. It's essentially a Mr. Rogers episode for adults. Um, and it, it goes through what exactly Mr. Rogers stood for, what he taught, and uh, how he went about meeting others and uh, caring for their lives and praying for them. And this is a scene, it's like a couple seconds long. It's not even a big scene in the movie where Mr. Rogers... You can see him sitting on his bedside with a book of names. That's something that he always does. He writes down names of people he meets throughout the day and prays for them every night, name by name by name. And this right here, I believe, is a perfect image of strength. Mr. Rogers, like the people we mentioned in the beginning, um, you know, may be small. He's not the, you know, he's not short, but he's not the perfect image of worldly strength, right? He's a very calm gentle spirit um, who is seen as, you know, not very cool. You know, I could watch Batman as a kid or I could watch, uh, you know, the Justice League or, you know, whatever I want. I could watch all these really cool shows with superheroes and stuff or I could watch Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers play with puppets. Um, it wasn't the coolest thing uh, at the time, but as it kept going year after year after year, people start to realize, oh, this has some depth to it. He covers major topics and he cares about you. And after the show was finished airing, people came up to Mr. Rogers telling them how much he meant to them, how he listened to them, how he was there when they were, he was there for them when they, when they were at their lowest of lows, how he taught them what true strength is. So if you haven't heard anything I've said at all, if you already went to sleep and have just now waken, woken up, hear what I'm saying now. True strength comes from realizing that even the greatest evil is temporary. If you really believe that Jesus is who he said he was, then you should know that God has eternal power. Then you should re be rejoicing in Jesus as your champion, not anything else. The more you see that, uh, that while fear may last for the night, joy comes in the morning, and be, you'd be surprised at how strong that could make you. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts about... Uh, you know, how to get connected with this church, how to grow strong together as a church, how to get stronger with God and connect with him, um, how to become strong, firm, and steadfast. You can text this number on the screen, 979-217-3300, uh, um, and you can connect with us. You can talk to us about how you can grow in your faith and as a church body grow in our faith, in our strength. Um, so... With all that said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, this Sunday where we get to congregate as a church to worship you, to think about you, to praise you, and to draw strength from you, to realize that you are our source of strength, not anything in this world. Um, Father, I pray that we recognize, like David, that in despite of our fear, um, that we shouldn't cast away our fear, but that we should look to you for guidance and for strength and not to ourselves that we should recognize that Jesus is our champion and that he has already laid down his life and that the debt is paid. Um, Father, I thank you uh, for you being our source of strength uh, so we can look to you in times of need. And it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Have thine own way.